I'm living in that 16th century. Doing something mean to it. Do it better than anybody you ever seen. Do it. Screams from the haters. Got a nice ring to it. I guess every superhero need his theme music. No one man should have all that power. Welcome to God is Open. I'm your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be reading the earliest account of the death of Servetus from what looks like an anonymous eyewitness who watched the death of Servetus, someone who's familiar with Calvin's Geneva. And this was republished contemporaneous to Calvin by Sebastian Castellio. If you remember, Sebastian Castellio was a compatriot of Calvin until they had a falling out. And once Calvin killed Servetus, Sebastian Castello was one of the main authors who was writing against Calvin and Calvin's role in the death of Servetus. Castillo condemned Calvin in the strongest of language. Calvin, Calvin even writes a book to defend his part and Geneva's execution of Servetus. Calvin wrote a book about it. That's how complicit in the death Calvin was. So as we're reading this account, keep in mind common Calvinist lies. Lies like uh, Calvin was just doing things natural to that time. See if that holds up in this contemporaneous account. Calvin had no power in Geneva. That's, uh, that's often claimed by them. Let's see if that holds up in this contemporaneous account. Things like this. Keep that in mind. Watch what is happening, what is being said, and what is being described. And see how that compares to how Calvinists tried to frame this issue. Remember, Calvinists always lie. They'll say whatever is convenient. That's their one principle. They will say whatever it takes to make you stop questioning Calvinists or their Calvin's role in the death of Servetus because they don't want to deal with it. They can't just say, yes, Calvin did something evil and then move on. They will defend him to the death and will say anything to do it. So let's read this account and see how it stacks up to what we are all familiar with as Calvinist claims about Calvin's role in the death of Servetus and the overall mood of the time, what's happening, what's going on, and how people saw this event in the world. History Mortis Servetai, 1554. Translated from the Latin by Alexander Gordon. At the time when Michael Servetus caused his books to be on the Trinity to be printed at Vienne, there was a certain Lyonese living at Geneva, who wrote letters to a Lyonese friend of his living at Lyons, in which letters, among other things, he made the following statement, We cherish no heretics, whereas you tolerate among you Michael Servetus, a man most heretical, who is getting books printed full of heirs, and this man is now at Vienne, in such a house. From the similarity of the style, those who have seen these letters think that they were written by Calvin, and that the Lyonese had not sufficient power of language to be able to write with so much point. The Lyonese himself said, indeed, that they were his own productions. In any case, they were skillfully sent in such a way, according to our information from those who have themselves seen these letters, as to arrive at the hands of the magistracy and thereby of Cardinal Tyronius himself. Some say that Calvin personally wrote direct to the Cardinal to this effect. Quote, Were you as zealous for religion as you pretend to be, you would not tolerate Servetus, who is among you. End quote. 
Be this as it may, when these letters were read, Servetus was made prisoner at Vienne, and likewise the printer of said book. Subsequently, having furtively escaped from prison, he came to Geneva, and on the very same day, namely Sunday, he heard a sermon after dinner. As he sat there, along with others, before sermon began, he was recognized by certain persons who at once went to convey the news to Calvin. Calvin immediately laid information, or caused information to be laid, before the magistracy, for them to fetch Servetus to prison for heresy. The magistracy made answer that a man could not be arrested in their free city unless there were some one as a prosecutor, who should present himself to be imprisoned, along with the accused. Calvin put in the name of a domestic of his, who would give himself up as prosecutor. This domestic was formerly cook to a certain noble named Felsicius, and Calvin formerly held this Felsicius in such esteem for his religious zeal as to laud him to the skies in a certain epistle. But subsequently, when Felsius appeared to favor a certain physician named Herimus, who was detained in prison about the affair of predestination, since he had dissented on that point, by Calvin, he was condemned in the public congregation as a heretic, who gave himself up as prosecutor is sent there by this same Calvin. Servetus called out from sermon, and having confessed his name, was thrown into prison, and likewise Calvin's domestic too, who soon after, having given sureties, was set at liberty. Servetus was held so closely in prison that no one, unless a person of great authority could get access to him, except indeed he were a friend of Calvin. On the arrest of Servetus, a messenger was dispatched by the magistracy to Vienne to bring back the sentence passed on Servetus by the Viennese. The Viennese supplied the messenger with this and added the following intelligence, that Servetus had fallen into the hands of the Viennese owing to a cue furnished by the chief preacher of the Genovese. Having brought back the sentence, the messenger was dispatched to the Swiss churches, Bern, Zurich, Schelfelhausen, and Basel. Taking Servetus's book, the articles of accusation drawn up the preachers and the letters from the Genovian magistracy to the ministers of those churches or to the magistrates asking their opinions respecting Servetus. Meantime, one Thomas, a domestic of Robert Stephanus, was dispatched to Frankfurt, who, to prevent their distribution, burnt the stock of Servetus's books, which had been forwarded there for the fair. The other messenger brought back letters from the preachers of the said churches, in which Servetus was condemned as a heretic. Accordingly, the Genevan magistracy was immediately called together on this business of Servetus. Amadius Gorius, the head of the military force, and at the same time the first syndic of the city, as he saw the minds of the senators inclined to the slaughter of the man, refused to be present at the judgment, and said he would not be a partaker in his blood. Some others did the same, the rest gave sentence, but not all alike. Some were for banishment, some for perpetual imprisonment, but the majority were for burning, unless he were willing to recant. They say that Solaris, too, chief professor of theology in that city, never gave his consent to the death of Servetus or of any other heretic. 
The same is also thought respecting some inferior ministers of the city who on that account were not called upon to deliver their opinion concerning Servetus. So he was led to the tribunal, and there condemned to be burned and reduced to ashes. When he heard this sentence, in suppliant attitude, he pleads with the magistracy that he might be allowed to perish by the sword, lest they should drive him to desperation by the greatness of agony, and so he should lose his soul. That, if he had committed any sin, he had sinned in ignorance, that, indeed, he was so constituted in mind and will as long to promote the glory of God. These entreaties of his, Pharaoh laid more explicitly before the magistracy, but the magistracy turned a deaf ear to the prayer of Servetus. So Servetus was led away, exclaiming, Ever and Anon, O God, keep my soul, O Jesus, Son of God eternal, have mercy on me. When they arrived at the place of execution, he fell on his face in prayer, and lay some time thus stretched out. Pharaoh addressing the populace in these words, Ye see what forth hath Satan, when he taketh possession of any one. This man is a scholar of the first rank, and deemed perchance that he was acting rightly, but now he is possessed of the devil, the very same fate might have overtaken one of you. Meanwhile, when Servetus rose, Pharaoh continued exhorting him to make some declaration. He, with groans and sighs, kept crying, O God, O God. When Pharaoh asked, he had nothing else to say. He replied, What else can I speak, save of God? On Pharaoh advising him that if he had wife or children and wished to make a will, there was a notary present, he gave no response. So he was led to the pile of logs. There were, moreover, green oaken faggots still in leaf and sticks heaped together with the logs. Servetus was placed upon a stump set on the ground his feet hanging down to touch the earth. On his head was placed a wreath of straw or leaves, and this was sprinkled with sulfur. His body was bound to a stake and with an iron chain, his neck to the same with a thick rope, loosely folded four or five times round, his book bound to his thigh. He prayed the executioner not to let him be in torment long. Meanwhile, the executioner flourished the fire in his face and then whirled around the flame. At the sight of the fire, the man raised a cry, so dreadful as to terrify the whole populace. As he languished long, there were some of the bystanders who threw faggots to thicken the pile. He exclaimed with dreadful sound, Jesus, Son of God Eternal, have mercy on me, breathed his last after an agony about half an hour. There are persons who affirm that Calvin, when he beheld Servetus led to execution, smiled, dropping his face quietly down to the breast of his robe. This affair troubled many pious people and produced a terrible scandal, which it scarcely seems possible ever to wipe off. For in this deed, the pious blame many things as criminal. First, that at Geneva, a man was put to death for religion. For they say that no one ought to be put to death for religion. And when the Old Testament passage about killing the false prophets is cited, they quote the New Testament on not rooting out the tares until the harvest. If anyone pleads that the Swiss churches gave their consent to the death of Servetus, they replied that these were not in a position to act as judges, inasmuch as they were defendants in the cause. For Servetus brought his charge of false doctrine against these, as well against the Genevan church. Moreover, they are surprised that Calvin conspired against another's life with those very churches whose doctrines in other respects he condemned. 
For in his French tract on the supper he openly contemns Zwingli and Occupidius, along with Luther, and says that they were in error. But if they were in error in regards to the supper, they may also be in error in regards to persecution. The next point is that he was put to death by Calvin's exertions. For he, that he might crush his private enemy, suborned a prosecutor from his own kitchen, a man grossly ignorant of servetus and of servantian questions. Now this, they say, is a procedure as wide apart from the Spirit of Christ as earth is from heaven. For Christ came not to destroy, but to save. The third point is that he was put to death in so cruel a manner when he piteously entreated to be cut off by the sword. This unheard of cruelty might beget a suspicion of Genevieve's willingness to return into favor with the Pope, and to demonstrate in act they have no such great abhorrence of him. Let their opposition to him in words be as furious as it may. Fourthly, that evangelicals entered into a conspiracy with Papists to put him to death. Hence, there are those who think that the friendship struck up between these parties resembles that struck up between Pilate and Herod in the manner of the execution of Christ. The fifth point is that Servetus' books were burned, a trick which, like some others, they seem to have learned from the Pope. And indeed, if Calvin's doctrine concerning predestination and election is true, there is no ground for fearing that Servetus might lead anyone astray, seeing that the elect cannot be seduced. Moreover, if sins are committed through necessity and by a divine compulsion, Servetus could not act otherwise than he did, nor could Calvinists avoid being deceived by him. If it was to be that they were to be deceived, or, on the other hand, become deceived by him, if it was to be that they were not to be deceived. The sixth criminal point is that Servetus, after he was dead, was in addition publicly damned in sermons to eternal torment, and damned in such terms that those who heard Pharaoh thundering out the sentence say that a shudder ran through their whole body and soul. The seventh criminal point is that Calvin appears to be engaged in writing against him, now that he's extinguished, which seems like an act of the Jews, who, when Christ was dead, besought Pilate, calling Christ an impostor, that his corpse might be watched. So, says Calvin, he is afraid. Not that Servetus' body may be furtively be removed, Calvin's diligence has seen well to it that this cannot be, but that his ashes may speak. Otherwise, if he wished to write against him, it was his duty to write in the man's lifetime, so that he might have power of reply, a right which is accorded even to a cut purse. So this is the earliest account written within a year of Servetus' death, and you see a lot of things ring true with the Calvinist-Arminian uh, debate on the life of Servetus. Calvin was complicit in murder. Calvin caused this murder to happen. Calvin used his power to make it happen. It was very scandalous at the time, and Calvin knows it was scandalous, and so wrote a book to defend his actions. You see Calvin's power and authority in Geneva. People people could see what was going on. People knew, and the same accusations that we are hearing now against the man happened in the lifetime of Calvin. Calvin is complicit. The more you learn about the trial and how Servetus was treated and not allowed to defend himself or, or, even, or even procure a lawyer to defend him, now, the more you learn and read about what actually happened in the trial, the more scandalous it becomes. 
These are evil people. Calvin was a megalomaniac. And he brags about killing servetists time and time again, as a megalomaniac will do. Uh, if they do something that they're proud of, they will brag about it rather than allow public perception to temper their claims. They will they'll revel in it and they will brag to their friends in their letters, I killed servetists. That's what Calvin does time and time again. And so we see that the modern Calvinist depiction of of Servetus, the life of Servetus, the death of Servetus, the trial, it, it's all fabrication. Calvin had the power. This was scandalous at the time. Calvin took a lot of flack. They spent a lot of ink, ink trying to defend their actions in this. It was done in a cruel and inhumane way. These people are evil. These people are evil. And so Calvinists, modern Calvinists, instead of just saying, yes, Calvin was evil, we can now talk about theology. They go ahead and they try to defend Calvin. They'll throw out any argument, no matter how ludicrous, absurd it is, no matter how far from the truth that it is. Anyways, the uh, English edition of this can be found as Appendix A in the book Hunted Heretic, translated from the Latin, Latin from 1554, Servetus being executed in 1553. So contemporaneous account to Servetus and Calvin. Calvin's taking a lot of flack for his actions. He's been called a murderer in his lifetime, especially by Costello, as we've already seen. A lot of, lot of good information in this book and in others that talk about the interplay, what's going on here. It's not the Calvinist account. It's not the Calvinist framing of this event. Anyways, thank you for listening.